Heru has been managing his fisheries for several years and been doing very well until COVID-19. And this has hit him very badly because pretty much all of the fish that he trades in are sent to mainland China and Hong Kong. And now the market is extremely low. He feels he cannot continue if this goes on for very long. My name is Marcy Trent Long. This is Season 8, COVID-19 with HKU. In this episode, we wanted to tell a story about an unintended consequence of COVID-19. Sure, there's lots of stories out there about our human struggle fighting the coronavirus. But what about a story about how our human behavior during COVID-19 is affecting other inhabitants of our planet. Because of the coronavirus pandemic, the demand for live seafood dropped alongside all of the closed-down restaurants in Hong Kong and China. While this may help to restock some of the endangered reef fish in Indonesia, in the long run, we may lose a sustainable fisherman who loomed large over the industry. Yvonne Sadovi, an honorary professor of biology at the University of Hong Kong, describes for us today an unusual relationship she had over the last 15 years with an Indonesian fish trader named Hiru Purnomo. Hiru was a leader in sustainable fishing in Indonesia, and his business is about to go bust. But before we go too far into the story, we thought we would first ask Yvonne, what's the live fish trade? So the live reef fish trade is a really lucrative trade, but it's an international trade. And Hong Kong and mainland China are the main importers. And the source of almost all of these fish, at least the more valuable ones, is in much of Southeast Asia and particularly Indonesia and the Philippines. Hong Kong partners uh, will work together to bring these many tons of fish into Hong Kong, into mainland China every year for wealthy consumers to eat. Yvonne received funding to study the live fish trade being supplied out of Indonesia. She started this research by interviewing a variety of Indonesian traders and eventually found Hiru. So we finished the interview. I went back home to Hong Kong and a couple of weeks later, I think it was, he wrote me an email. He was the only trader ever to write to me. So he started asking me questions about this fish. How long did it live? Um, Where did it live? And I was, I have to admit, rather wary because I felt that he was asking me questions so that he could catch the fish more easily. That's an obvious thing to do. I remember him very clearly from the interview. He was very sharp and there was something a little bit different about him. Hero asked if Yvonne and her team could accompany him on a boat trip to learn more about the patterns of the fish he was catching. We didn't know this trader. We would be on a boat in a very remote area in eastern Indonesia with all-male crew. And so from a, I guess from a practical safety perspective, we were a little bit concerned about this. We just felt this should be okay. Let's risk it because the possible things that we could learn from this might be very, very interesting, getting to know the trader better and also having the opportunity to do work in an area we really wanted to work. 
So Yvonne mapped out her approach to the research work. The purpose for this study was to actually look at how many fish were in the water, basically. And we can do that by counting fish, working out their densities, and then factoring up using reef size to work out total population sizes. And this is a way in which we can work out what would be the sustainable catch per year for this species for the fishery. So Yvonne and her colleague returned to Indonesia for an exploratory boat trip. After they jumped into the water, they'd swim up to eight kilometers a day and sometimes further to look for rare fish. And Hero, well, he followed them. And then every time we see a fish, we mark down the location of the fish by noting the time on the slate. The time on our watch is synchronized to the time on the GPS. And so every time we write down a time, we know exactly where we are. So we can reconstruct exactly where each fish is along our transect. The work was exhausting, and when they took the boat home at the end of the day, Hero realized how few of the traded luxury fish were still available in these waters. Uh, we just found one fish, and we saw a lot of uh, imagery because the bombing over there, and then no fish in that area. Yvonne later realized that Hiro was a devout Buddhist, so living in harmony with the environment is a very strong part of his belief system. His actions out on the reef counting fish were consistent with his Buddhist principles to protect these animals. The only time Heru had ever seen these fish before this experience with us was when they were gathered together in a cage, already caught by fishermen, who had spent thousands of hours collectively, amongst many fishermen, collecting fish, put them in a cage, and then Heru would be the one to come along and count them and have a look at them. He had no idea how rare they were in the field, how much effort it took for the fishermen to catch the fish he ultimately saw. By coming with us, swimming with us, he just unilaterally said, look, I see this is rare. I see there are problems. I, I don't want to be part of the problem. I have to do this for my fishermen this moment because we have around 4,500 fishermen. So if we, we cannot have a good practice, if one day we lose the fish, so how about their life? As he learned more about this fish and the problems with the fish, he would teach the fishermen in the communities that he purchased these fish from about the animal. So he sort of went the whole hog. He would start educating these communities. The children would come to the meetings and sit amongst the fishermen and learn about this animal. And, and I would feed him information about the biology, about the amazing things it does, about how it changes its sex, about how long it lives. So he was able to build up this kind of set of stories that he was able to tell the communities. But when COVID-19 came, Hero's business was hard hit. And this has hit him very badly because pretty much all of the fish that he trades in are sent to mainland China and Hong Kong. He does send some of his fish out by air, but now he has to compete for cargo space and it's now extremely expensive to send fish. 
But more important than transport was the problem of a drop in demand. And so without consumers, it means that a lot of the fish just can't be sold, can't be transported. So it's a, it's a kind of a double problem here. But I would say the biggest issue is the fact of people just not going out to eat in restaurants. They're not demanding the fish. Because of quarantine measures put in place at the Hong Kong airport, seafood tourism became a thing of the past. This is really important because tourism is a major driver of the seafood trade in Hong Kong. In fact, I've heard recently that in Lei Yumun, which is one of the three seafood centers, you could say, in Hong Kong, some of the uh, owners of restaurants uh, are eating their own highly valuable fish, things like the Napoleon fish, which is about the most valuable of all of the fish in the live trade. I have never in 20 years working in the live fish trade heard of anything like this. So this is clearly a sign of some real hurt in the industry um, when, when people are eating their own very valuable fish. So for the short run, the live fish trade is struggling. That could be a positive for conservationists who want to see the stocks of these luxury and sometimes endangered reef fish build up. But looking out into the future, what happens if Hiru's business really can't survive? So in the end, if traders like Heru can no longer keep working, the live fish trade out of Indonesia will be dominated by businesses which are or appear to be very little interested in sustainability in the long term. And they also operate, some of them at least, illegally, both in their export practices out of Indonesia, this is well documented, and importing fish into Hong Kong without declaring them to customs. There's also illegal trade going over the border between Hong Kong and mainland China, smuggling. That's long been, been happening. So the unintended consequences of COVID-19 may mean a return back to normal with overfishing in the waters of Indonesia. If sustainable businesses like live fish trader Hiru don't get a lifeline of government support, or if the Indonesian government continues not to manage these fisheries very well. Like Hiru's business, many good small and medium-sized companies are closing shop because of the coronavirus pandemic. In our next episode, we'll talk about what measures Hong Kong is taking to protect some of our favorite small businesses from going bust.